title for the message for this evening is How's the Spirit in You Coming Along? How's your spirit? How's your ghost doing? And here is a famous painting, uh, a Japanese painting of a hungry ghost. You see how fat the stomach is? He can never get enough to eat, and yet his throat is so thin, it can only allow a little bit of food to come in. And you look how skinny he is. He's eating, but he's eating the wrong kind of food, and he could never get his nafil. And I'll tell you more about that later. You see, we just finished the Asian month of ghosts, the ghost festival season, which is mid-August and just recently ended mid-September in the Western calendar here. And it's celebrated throughout Asia. Most of Asia celebrates uh, see the, the ghost festival, a one-month-long festival, during which time they believe that ghosts are released from the underworld to roam the earth, to be able to get their fill, to visit loved ones, or to uh, harm to those who deserve to be harmed. And there are many uh, traditions. They say during this month especially, from mid-August to mid don't leave chopsticks upright in a bowl of rice because it looks like incense stick, like when someone dies. Don't sit in the front rows of shows or perform because the VIP section is meant for the guest ghosts. And you should never swim at night, especially alone. Have you ever wondered, have you ever noticed that a lot of people who swim alone at night, they drown? Hmm, it must be because of the water ghosts, soy guai. The water goes, it drags people underneath. Oh, so they say that during the month of uh, mid-August and mid-September, you gotta be extra careful. And you should never argue at night. Have positive thoughts, because this is your best spiritual protection against evil. You see, if you argue at night, it's too late to go out places. Too late to visit your friends, they're all asleep. And you argue and you, you just sit and stew and you just uh, uh, can't sleep. So that's why I always tell my wife, if it can wait, I don't need to know. I'm not a curious person. Wait until the morning and tell me what he said or what she said. Because in the morning time, I have work ahead of me, I have chores to run, I have tasks to do uh, that keep my mind occupied. I, I can't sit and dwell on a problem, but at night it gets worse. And according to all these Asian customs, that if you argue at night, you are most vulnerable to being possessed by a ghost. So I certainly gonna be sure not to argue well, at night. I'll save it to the morning to argue with my wife, not during the, during the daytime, not during the night. Well, the Asian ghost season is almost here. I mean, it's over and Halloween is almost here. 
And before we know, there'll be ghosts and kids running around wearing a mummy's outfit and goblins and demons. And they're surely going to be out there. So be ready when they come to your door. But I want you to know, in a very real way, there's a whole army of ghosts very close to you in reality, a lot closer than you might think. But I'll, I'll tell you more about that later on in the sermon here. In 1959, I saw this movie, okay, uh, I was nine years old, so you could get an idea when I was born. I, I saw this movie when I was nine years old, The Mummy. And I remember I was terrified by this movie. It talks about two archaeologists who discover the tomb of an Egyptian princess. And an Egyptian man says, he who robs the graves of Egypt dies. So one of the uh, a man, one of the archaeologists named Stephen Banning, he finds a scroll of life that can bring the dead back to life. And by reading it, he is driven partially insane, crazy, mad. And then the Egyptian utter a curse on them after he blows up the entrance to seal the tomb and he took the mummy and stole the mummy. But later on, he utter a curse on them and used the scroll of life and brings the mummy back to life. And then the mummy stalks them. And it was terrifying watching this here. Three years later, they moved back to England, but the mummy follows them. They're able to track them down. And Stephen, see, keep talking about this mummy that's coming to kill me. So they put him up, locked up in a psychiatric hospital. All right. And then uh, the mummy showed up and he killed one of the archaeologists. And one of the workers, this man here, got a spear and rammed it right through him. That should stop the mummy. It did nothing. And then he pulled out a gun, and I said, that will stop it. And he pow, 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 pumped all these bullets in it. Nothing. And the mummy just turned and walked away. The mummy wasn't interested in her killing this man. He is interested in killing the other partner. As news got around, Stephen heard what happened, and he's terrified. He's rich as an archaeologist. He became famous. He has so much money. He has a mansion. He had a lot of bodyguards. He says, they'll protect me. But anyone who tried to protect him, who got in the way, suffer uh, death. This man, see, didn't because it was after the man was already killed. So the guy, Stephen, got so scared, he locked himself in the psychiatric unit in a double secure room double door double steel wall triple locks he said there's no way the mummy can get in here but up see above uh the the ceiling was about maybe 12 feet high there are barred windows windows that have bars on it then he is he laid in bed trying to sleep. He was so scared. It's like, I know I'm going to die. Like a person who's on death row, just waiting to die. He's, no, no. Then all of a sudden, he saw the figure, the shadow of the mummy 
on the window and he started banging at it. Then he ripped open the bars. Then he got so terrified, he jumped out and he tried to unlock, but he started getting so nervous. He's fumbling with the locks. The mummy jumped down and strangled him. All the money, all the protection couldn't save him. And the mummy walked away and went back into the lake and disappeared. But I was terrified. Here was a mummy who comes after you and there's nothing you can do to stop it. What can we learn about ghosts from the Bible? What are ghosts? We're going to look at three Hebrew words briefly and three Greek words a little longer. Then we're going to talk about the ghost at Endor, the Holy Ghost, and the ghost in you. Well, according to the Webster's Dictionary, the ghost is the soul, the seed of life. There's a ghost in you that when you die, it leaves you. The word ghost was not used in ancient time. It was only used since the 12th century from the old English gas, from the old German geist, meaning spirit. So from geist to gas to ghost to ghost is where we got our word ghost. So you're not going to find the word ghost in the Bible, but you'll find translated words, translated ghost. You'll find in Hebrew in the Old Testament, the word gava, which means to breathe out, expire. And Genesis 25, 35, 49, it talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They gave up the ghosts and died. It was something that they breathed out, which God had breathed into them at the beginning. And then there's a Hebrew word, Rafa. Rafa means a departed spirit, the dead. In Job chapter 26, verse 4, that's 6 here, it mentions here, Who helped you say these things? Job asked his friends. Whose spirit inspired you to speak? The ghosts and their neighbors in the underworld shake with fear. But God can clearly see into that place of death. Death is not hidden from God. See, God even knows what's happening among those who have died and went on before. And the word nephesh in the Old Testament, which means a living being. And Genesis 35, 18 talks clearly that we have a soul. It says, as Rachel was dying, uh, Rachel, the mother of the 12 tribes of Israel, all right, uh, we have Judah, her husband, and Benjamin was, uh, I mean, Rachel was giving birth to her last child, Benjamin. And the Bible says, and as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Her soul was departing because she was dying. We have a soul inside us that when, when we die, the soul leaves us. We don't just, just die and become unconscious. There's a soul that departs, the Bible says. And there's another understanding. When we go to the uh, New Testament, there's a word phantasma, and you see the Greek word there, which means a spirit. 
And you see when Jesus walked in the water, and Julie, if you're out there, I'd like you to read this for us, please. Can you read that for us? Between three and six o'clock in the morning, Jesus's followers were still in the boat. Jesus came to them. He was walking on the water. When they saw him walking on the water, it scared them. It's a ghost, they said, screaming in fear. But Jesus quickly spoke to them. He said, don't worry, it's me, don't be afraid. Okay, that was kind of soft, but I think most of us heard that. It's a ghost, they screamed in fear. Because they saw him walking on the water. All right, and the same word appears here. When, see, after the resurrection, when the two that walked on the road to Emmaus met the other, see, apostle, and says, you wouldn't believe what happened. As we were talking to this man along the road, he suddenly appeared, and then we realized we were talking to Jesus. We saw him. And while they, while they, the two men were saying these things to the other follower, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This surprised the followers. They were afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. But Jesus says, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt what you see? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me. You can see that I have a living body. A ghost does not have a body like this. So he says, touch, feel, see, and doubt no more. Okay, here we have in a painting here by Ernst Josephson in 1878. Oops, it appeared twice here. A painting entitled David and Saul. See, uh, King David, I mean, King Saul, he was a very proud man, but he felt very insecure. And he had a problem. He disobeyed God. Not once, but many times. In 1 Samuel 13, 9, 14, he disobeyed God when the, see, God told him that the high priest is going to perform a ritual blessing for you. You're not to take action against the enemy until uh, the ceremony is done. While the soldiers were impatient and King Saul was impatient, he said, oh, I'll do it. So he took a prerogative that was not his. And he conducted a religious ceremony that was reserved by God to be performed only by the high priest. In doing so, he acted as if he was God, that he could do whatever he wants. And God was very upset with him. And then because out of jealousy, he tried to kill a good man, a man by the name of David. In 1 Samuel 28, uh, see, uh my, if you're out there, would you like to read that for us? Okay. Um, after Samuel died, all the Israelites mourned for him uh, and buried him in his hometown. Saul had removed the mediums and fortune tellers from Israel. The Philistines prepared for war. They came to Shunem and made their camp at that place. Saul saw the Philistine army, and he was, uh, he was afraid. His heart pounded with fear. He prayed to the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. Finally, Saul said to his officers, find me a medium. Then I can go ask her what will happen. His officers answered, there is 
a medium at Endor. Okay. And here, uh, uh, let's see, Anthony, could you read that for us? That night, Saul put on different clothes so that no one would know who he was. Then Saul and two of his men went to see the woman. Saul said to her, I want you to bring up a ghost who can tell me what will happen in the future. You must call for the ghost of the person I name. But she said to him, you know that Saul forced all the mediums and fortune tellers to leave the land of Israel. You are trying to trap me and kill me. Saul promised the woman, he said, you won't be punished for doing this. Then the woman asked, who do you want me to bring up? Saul said, bring up Samuel. And it happened. The woman saw Samuel come out of the ground and, and she screamed and said to Saul, you tricked me. You're Saul. The king said, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. And Saul said, I'm in trouble. The Philistines have come to fight me and God has left me. God won't answer me anymore. So I called you. I want you to tell me what to do. And Samuel says, the Lord left you. So why are you asking me for advice? And then the next day he was killed in battle. He, Saul and his sons. When we leave God, why are we surprised if we pray to God sometimes, we don't get a response, an answer? I mean, we must never give up because sometimes, uh, in the case of Saul, it was direct disobedience. In his famous painting by Edward Corbold here, you have the witch in the middle and you see Saul on the ground crying and you see the ghost of Samuel rising from the ground on the left. So why did God not answer King Saul's prayer? King Saul was rejected because he only half-heartedly followed God's instruction. Following some things God asked him to do while disobeying other things. Don't we know people like that? Aren't we sometimes like that? The difference was that King Saul, that he was above it. He was too good. He was too powerful. He's the king. He could if he want to. He doesn't have to if he didn't want to. Most of us, sometimes we neglect him because we're so busy. We don't think about it. That's not quite the same. That doesn't mean it's okay. But King Saul, when God told him, wait for the high priest to perform the ceremony, he said, ah, I can't wait any longer. I'll, I'll do it. That was direct disobedience. That wasn't disregard. That was direct disobedience. And that was the kind of person King Saul was. He was too proud of himself. He thought because of his title, his position, he can more or less do whatever he wanted to do. Let us always be careful that we not be like that. And Gideon, he used a ghost army to defeat the Midianites. I'm going to tie all these things in about ghosts here. Well, here's a famous story that Julian knows a lot about here, but I'll share it. You see, then Gideon divided 300 men into 300 groups. You see, the Midianites had like 10,000 men. 10,000 men. Uh, no, it was more than that. It was, I'm sorry, they had about 20,000 men. 
And Gideon had only 300 men that God said you to take with you. So Gideon divides 300 men into three groups, gave each of them a trumpet and an empty jar with a torch. And he says, do what I do. Each of you get on the three sides around the camp, will surround the camp. When at night, when I give you the instruction, you do exactly what I do, blow your trumpet and shout these words for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and a hundred men went to the edge of the enemy camp. They came there just after the enemy changed guard. It was during the middle watch of the night. So everyone's asleep. Then Gideon is in blew their trumpets and smashed their jar. Then all three groups blew their trumpets and smashed their jar. Gideon's been stay where they were. They didn't attack. They didn't move. But inside the camp, the men of Midian were so terrified. How, how, how could the small Jewish army attack us? Dare attack us while we're asleep? But here they are. We're surrounded. So they, they, they are terrified. They got confused and they overreacted. When the person next to them bumped into them, they thought it was a Jew. So they turned and stabbed that person. When he saw someone running at them, I was confused. He sliced a sword against that person. They were killing each other because in their confusion, they didn't know who was their friend and who was their enemy. And the men of Midianites all ran away. So the 300 ghost army chase away the much larger Midianite force. You think that's impossible? It happened in real life. Some of you may not know what this emblem is. This was an emblem from World War II. This is the famous 23rd Headquarters Special Force of uh, the Ghost Army. The last, okay, just, uh, just this summer, the last surviving member of the Ghost Army of World War II died at the age of 106 years old. A Jewish man, Lieutenant Gilbert Seltzer, a modern-day Gideon, there is the unit was only 1,100 men, but there were only 200 combat soldiers. And they would go against uh, Nazi forces number into the tens of thousands, 20,000 men, much larger forces with tanks and cannons, artilleries, and see, uh, see aerial support. But the special 1,100 men were mostly men who have had no fighting experience. They were technicians. They were, see, uh, tech geeks, so to say. They were people who knew about artistry, carpentry, electronics, speakers. And what they did was that they fooled the Nazis in over 20 major operations. One of the most famous ones was in 1944, shortly after D-Day at the landing of Normandy. They need to cross the Rhine River to enter into Germany, but all the bridges along the Rhine River and along the bank were heavily guarded with Nazi troops, with heavily with machine guns and all. So what happened was this, 
They created a major diversion 10 miles south of where the American 9th Army Division was going to plan to cross. So they had this fake airplane. That airplane right there is not a real airplane. It's made of cardboard and wood out there here. They sent out fake radio messages that would be deliberately intercepted. They inflated fake tanks, trucks, and airplanes, and cannons, and blared the sound of moving troops. Uh, they would see fake these military equipment and cover them poorly with camouflage net to be sure that the uh, Nazi reconnaissance units could spot them and record where they are. They had recording, tape recordings of American troops moving, and they'll play on loudspeakers hidden underneath trees. And see, they would have ghost army troops that would actually come out during the daytime, visit the local cafes, and talk about how they had these thousands of American military soldiers all along the forest, along the river there. They're going to launch an attack across the Rhine at this spot here. So Nazi spies will pass word on. The Americans are here in large numbers. And here you see an inflatable tank. You see these uh, men, uh, four men carrying an inflatable tank. You see on the upper right, a man see inflating and sitting in place a inflatable uh, see, uh, supply truck. And below, you see uh, cardboard and, and plywood, see artilleries lay there here. And it worked. The Nazi troops spotted them, fired on them, and they would set off explosives. So it looked like they were actually firing. And they would actually do some shooting, so it looked like there really were people there. But there were only 200 of them against thousands of Nazis. Ten miles away, four American Army divisions successfully crossed the Rhine in the largest amphibious operation since D-Day. What's the lesson for us? Like the ghost army with nothing to shield us from harm, we learn to live by faith. So like Gideon. With 300 going against the thousands of Midianites, if the Midianites uh, attacked them, Gideon would have stood no chance, but he learned to trust God with faith. It's not our property. It's not our title. It's not how much money we have. It's not how much bodyguards we have. It's not if we locked ourselves with double, triple bolted steel doors and bars across our windows. Death came to us like it did in the fiction The Mummy, which terrified me as a kid. Our possessions we cannot trust on. We must learn to trust in God. Here we have, and it goes, these uh, look like sea freighters, but these are gigantic uh, inflatables with some sea wooden sea platforms and cardboards. So from a, a plane from above, it looks like three freighters carrying supplies. These were dummies. They were unmanned as they were here. The ghost army reminds us that our seemingly solid world aren't always as real as we would like to think. We think skin and bone, flesh is all there is, and that the spirit world don't exist. 
we need to examine what is really needed in our lives and what is illusory. What we really need is not so much bread and water. We need the word of God to sustain us. There's another word in the New Testament, skenu, a Greek word that means one's tent to dwell. The word dwell is a, means a tabernacle, to dwell in a tent. For we, during the wilderness wandering, after they escaped from Egypt, God specified how they were to build a tabernacle. He said, don't deviate it from materials dimension. Build it exactly the way I tell you to build it here. For he designed it. And he said, I will dwell in it. As we travel by night, there'll be a flame, and by day, there'll be a cloud, and I will be in the midst of it. The Bible here tells us that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. But to all, every one of us who receive him, who believe in God, he gave us the right to become children of God. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And Jesus, God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus arrived to dwell with us, he came clothed in a human tent. Here's a famous painting by Rembrandt, The Adoration of the Shepherd. He came in the form of a fleshly little child. When Jesus returned, he said in Revelation 21, verse 1, 3, he will dwell with us forever and not ever depart. Uh, Anthony, can you read that for us? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had disappeared. Now there, there was no sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared like a bride dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne. It says, now God, home is with people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. Uh, he will dwell with us. When, see, we die or when Christ come before then, we're going to shed our human tents, our earthly bodies, and we'll take on our divinely forgiven and resurrected body. But to be in this divinely forgiven, we must learn to forgive. We must learn to be a forgiving people. Let's not hold grudges that last for eternity for the consequence for us may be negative for eternity as you see jesus rise from heaven the apostles in life that you will see him return and all those who have died before us we will see them we will see them again and we have the promise of this here all right the bible says that we know that our body a tent will be destroyed but when that happens god will have a home for us to live in uh, while we live in this tent, we have burdens, we have aches, we have pains, we have complaints, we have problems. Not that we want to die and remove this body of us, 
but we look forward so much to being closed with life itself. Verse 5, this is what God himself made us for, and he has given us the spirit, the ghost, as the first payment to guarantee the life to come. For he promises in John 14, 26, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. But we say, uh, I know God the Father. I, I, I read, read about him in the Old Testament. I know about Jesus. I read about him in the New Testament. But what is the Spirit? Uh, what is this Holy Ghost? In Matthew 1, verse 18, it says that Jesus was born of the Holy Ghost. He was baptized with the Holy Ghost. This word pneuma here. So we need to know this Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is really quite a personable being that we can easily know if we only take the time. We know in Acts chapter 1 verse 2 that the Holy Ghost gives command. He tells the people what to do. It's not just like an invisible energy out there. And Acts chapter 5 verse 3, Ananias and later Sapphira, he and his wife, they lied to God when they sold the property and said, I'm going to donate all this money to God. But actually they gave part of it and they kept a good hefty portion for themselves. They misled the people. They lie. But Peter said, Ananias, why has God, why has Satan filled your heart? to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. All right. You can lie to the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost cannot be fooled. The Holy Ghost can speak and even call. Acts 13, 2, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The Holy Ghost can talk, speak. It's not just an energy. It's not a dove that can't talk, all right? Well, where was he in the Old Testament? He was there, Acts 28, 25. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul spoke one word. Well, well spoken, the Holy Spirit, by Isaiah the prophet unto our Father. The Holy Ghost spoke to us through the prophet Isaiah. He was there in the Old Testament time and inspire the other apostles as well and prophets second peter 121 for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men but holy men of god spoke as they were moved by the holy ghost so in concluding what do we value according to this painting here this person here was greedy in their life on earth and when they died according to asian tradition both japanese vietnamese and chinese and that is that if you are greedy in this life if you look down on those who are less fortunate than you this is what may become of you a hungry ghost of course that's not in the bible but you understand the importance here what do you want to accomplish in life i'm sure all of us made mistakes many mistakes that we wish we could take back but the mistakes are behind you. Don't keep dwelling on the mistakes. All right? What ghost armies or false truth and illusion do we unthinkingly believe in or follow in our lives today? 
Do you sometimes keep dwelling on the past and you can't learn to forgive, can't learn to forget? You hold grudges forever and ever? We must learn to forgive ourselves. Sometimes we can't forgive our mistakes. We say we're not good enough. Well, guess what? None of us are good enough. None of us are kind enough, but that shouldn't stop us from trying to be as kind as we can. None of us are as thoughtful as we can be, but let's try to be more thoughtful as the days go by. None of us can control or temper the way we wish we would. Even the most gentlest of us sometimes lose their temper. But let's just keep trying and not give up trying and turn to God who can guide us into all things. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that God had made Jesus, whom you crucify, Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in the hearts and said to Peter and to the rest of what shall we do then? Verse 38, Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It didn't say be baptized so you show that you're a member of Church ABC or XYZ. It says for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost, what gifts can he give you? You will accept him as your teacher. The Holy Ghost teaches you spiritual things. The Holy Ghost will live inside you, but you have to consent to it. And it will help promote within you righteousness, peace, joy, happiness, and love. It will all be yours if you be baptized to have your sins washed away and become a child of God and to consent to the Holy Spirit. If you don't allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, you open a door for an evil spirit to live in you. And that's my message for this evening here. Let us not allow the ghosts in our past hide behind the trees and branches to fool us. Don't think that true happiness is having that special person or that special job or that special title. It, it resides in that special person, Jesus, and Him alone. In Him alone, the song that we heard at the beginning is what will save us.